Welcome to Inside the Founder Studio with the California Technology Council, where we bring you perspectives directly from startup founders and investors in every episode. Now we turn to our host in our Northern California headquarters, Matt Gardner, founder of the California Technology Council. On this episode of Inside the Founder Studio, we're talking with Rob Nortzell from EIE Materials. Rob, thanks for joining us. Thank you. So can you tell us a little bit about what you're hoping to do with EIE Materials, Rob, and, and uh, what it is about the LED market that tells you that there's an opportunity there for you? Yeah, so uh, we're developing a material actually to improve LED efficacy by 20%. Um, and, and it's actually something that you've, that you've probably seen and glanced over um, several times. If you actually look at your camera flash um, on your smartphone, you can see it. Um, you'll, you'll see like some maybe yellowish or reddish material. Um, that material is called phosphor. Um, an LED um, emits blue light when you pass a current through it. Um, obviously, blue light by itself is not really valuable, especially in uh, uh, general, general lighting applications. Um, you put phosphor on top of the blue LED to convert a fraction of that blue emission into other colors of the visible spectrum, um, like you know, red or green, uh, and, and the red-green combined with the blue light gives you gives you your white, white light emission. Um, the problem uh, with, the, uh, uh, with the current state-of-the-art materials, with the current state-of-the-art phosphors, um, specifically with the red, is that you actually get a broad emission, uh, emission spectrum out of, the, out of the red phosphor, and so, so about 23% of your photons are emitted in, a, uh, in, in the invisible region. And, and obviously, if you're converting visible photons into invisible photons, you're, you're getting quite a bit of a, a loss there. Um, so the idea is to create a narrow emitting red phosphor um, so, that you're, so that you're actually um, you know, uh, generating, generating white light and generating the red portion of the spectrum um, in a usable portion of the spectrum. So, um, and just by just by improving the spectral efficiency, um, you can increase the package, overall package efficacy by 20%. And so, what we do is um, is, is basically a lot of a lot of material science, um, material science and chemistry. And so, so um, in other words, so you might you might. Not, sorry, Rob, go ahead. No, I was just going to say you might you might think of. Uh, you know, look at your camera flashing and, and think that is in a very, very, very small amount of material. Um, when in fact, um, the the market size, the market for um, LED phosphors is around 200 metric tons a year. It's about 1.2 billion dollar market, um, and um, and and the current uh, the current state of the art red phosphor material, uh, the manufacturer of that. Uh, of that material actually owns a monopoly on the space. Um, that that one material, that red nitride phosphor, um, owns a monopoly on the space. And 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 again, if you can solve the problem that uh, that plagues that product, um, you know, we can own the entire industry or the entire uh, that entire uh, red phosphor market. And that's about a two to three hundred million dollar product line. And and where would people typically see applications of this in their daily lives? Well, so interestingly, um, 
you know, most folks think of LEDs um, and LED applications in, um, in in the backlight of their of their iPad, of their iPhone, um, or their or their TVs, right? LED TVs. Um, but in fact, the real um, um, the real large market is actually in general lighting, and it was in 2014 that we um, that the inflection point. Uh, the inflection point for growth in the general lighting space um, was set to happen. So uh, the projections show, um, you know, that by 2025, 67% of uh, of all lighting will be LED LED based lighting, right? So contrast that to probably 10% or so. Or, or even less than 10% of all lighting is, is currently LEDs. And so what that means is by improving, by improving uh, LED efficacy uh, by, the tw by this 20% that, we that we're aiming to do, um, in 2025, uh, just by improving this efficacy, by swapping out one material for another, we can strip about 20 terawatt hours off the grid, um, which represents about a half a percent of the uh, uh, of the U.S. electricity consumption. Wow, that's a big number. Uh, is there a limit to this, or does it work in everything from street lights to industrial lighting to headlights and automobiles? What's the limit? So there's not really a limit um, to it when when you talk about creating um, um, white light. Most of the time, you have to have a red phosphor component um, to give a uh, to give a significant amount of or, or significance to the uh, to the color quality values, um, specifically around um, um, new Energy Star certifications. Um, you have to have a, a CRI value of greater than 80. And CRI is just a, another term for, it, it stands for color rendering index, which is um, the quality of the light relative, uh, relative to sunlight, sunlight being uh, 100. Um, to get a CRI value that high, you have to have a, a red phosphor um, in, in any applications where you're creating light at about 5,000 Kelvin or warmer. So basically, any application is going to utilize a red phosphor. Oh, that's impressive stuff, Rob. Can we talk a little bit about how you knew this was an opportunity? It looks like, you know, in your background, you've worked in some big companies, and so you've had some uh, experience dealing with uh, technical products. When did you know you were onto something that led to the formation of EIE? So actually, um, my uh, my co-founder and I worked together at um, at the leading um, leading independent supplier of uh, LED phosphors. So together, he and I have about or had before we started the company had about nine years of industry experience, which is basically um, basically as long as the industry has been around. Um, so we knew this business very very well, um, and 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 in particular, you know, I'd like to pat myself on the back and have the. Have the had the great epiphany for uh, for creating this product, but that was actually the responsibility of my um, of my co-founder. Um, you know, he was uh, he was actually in applications engineering. Um, he knew what customers what what customers needed, what customers wanted, um, 
and and saw the opportunity. Uh, now, now I will say that this opportunity is it's actually you know one of the holy grails in the LED industry, right? It's a um, it's a very very difficult problem to solve, and folks are are trying to solve this problem. Um, in, a, in, a, in a number of ways, um, but we're taking a very unique approach um, to solving this problem. Uh, most of the other approaches that we, that we know about um, that, uh, uh, that others in academia and industry are taking to solve this problem, they're, they're just not going to work. They're dead ends. Um, and, um, and, and we've taken a very unique approach and we've shown some considerable progress. So with this kind of um, uh, change or technological advance inside an existing industry, uh, the first to market can sometimes bear the expense of educating the entire market. Uh, how does that look to you as you scale up and, and uh, what kind of help have you had uh, getting to market? Well, um, I will say uh, uh, I, I think you're right and I think, uh, and I think that scenario uh, will play out uh, we'll play out for the uh, for the owner of the current um, the current red nitride, the current state of the art red phosphor material. Um, right, they were the first they were the first to market, um, and we're going to be the disruptor. Right, so the material that we're developing is actually a drop in replacement. Um, it's not going to require any any change to the customers um, to our customers' um, existing infrastructure. Um, now that said. Um, in, at least in this industry, and the way it's played out for um, for this competitor is, you know, they've had a monopoly on this on this on this product line on this red phosphor for the better part of five years. In 2012, for them, it was probably a hundred million dollar product line. This year, it's probably a close to two hundred million dollar product line. They're earning sixty plus percent gross margins on that product, um, even if even if we completely supplant them. Um, they've done very well for themselves um, as, a, as a first mover. And so as you're working on getting to market, what sort of proofs of concept are you having to go through? Uh, so our proof of concept um, initially is focused on performance. Um, and performance is, is measured in the LED industry um, in terms of on-chip um, lumens, uh, luminous efficacy, which is lumens per watt. Um, so we are we are constantly benchmarking ourselves in terms of um, in terms of how we stack up against the current state of the art material. Are we improving package efficacy? Um, and and we're not there yet, um, but there are um, but we're but we are well on our way. Um, to achieving those goals of, of improving package efficacy. The other, um, the other uh, factor is improving color quality. And there are certain, uh, certain technical aspects to the material that we're developing that will improve the, uh, the on-chip color quality, and that is something that we can measure today. And so, um, so when, we, when we actually create, um, create chips uh, of, of our material and the competitor material, Side by side, we actually um, can improve. Uh, we actually see an improvement of about 22% in uh, in color quality um, relative to the current state of the art material. Um, so that's a you know it's a it, that's a very promising uh, promising metric as well. And then downstream, after we've uh, after we've um, shown uh, you know uh, optimized optimized our material um, to achieve the performance characteristics. 
um, that we need to, to penetrate this market, um, we need to work on uh, reliability. Um, lifetime, um, on-chip lifetime is, uh, is a minimum usually of 25,000 hours. Um, and so, so our material has to be able to stand the, uh, you know, stand those those tests of time um, with with respect to um, um, temperature, operating temperature, um, and operating operating environment. So, like humidity and so forth. Sure. So, hey, this is uh, a market LED lighting, which is uh, one that you could sort of think of as in progress. And and of course, it it seems Rob like there are some markets that might be. Uh, faster in the adoption curve, uh, what is the meaningfulness to a, to a startup company when you're dealing with markets that are, you know, relatively maybe a little bit slower? So, for example, the, the street lighting business is one being overtaken by LEDs now, but if you miss that, it might be 20 years before another generational purchase comes along. So what is the difference to you as a, as a technologist in the speed of adoption in different markets? Um, so, so our customers, we don't necessarily sell into particular applications. Um, we are we are farther upstream in the value chain than actually selling to um, lighting suppliers, um, suppliers of light fixtures and and so forth, right? And there's and that market is incredibly fragmented. Um, farther upstream in terms of uh, LED packaging. Um, though LED packagers are our customers, so our, our, our customers would be you know, the top 10 LED packagers, um, which control 70% of the market. So, um, you know, we're, LED packagers would be companies like Nichia, um, Osram, Samsung, Cree, uh, LumiLeds, uh, Epistar, and so forth. Um, so we're we're actually only selling to to ten customers. Uh, where they uh, where the packages will then go into um, into downstream applications is is sort of different and, and and somewhat out of our control. What I can tell you is that um, um, that luminous efficacy is um, is really the driving factor in uh, in incorporating uh, particular LED packages into a fixture, right? So so performance is a is a huge driver. Um, for example, at my former company, um, we lost uh, where we actually had a a very solid in into this company. Um, we lost a multi million dollar bid um, over a over one percent brightness. And so we're, we're talking about improving brightness of an LED package by 20%. Okay, that's amazing. Uh, Rob, you have an MBA from UC Berkeley. Did that process or in your time since, have you, have you had any uh, support as an entrepreneur going through any incubation programs or anything like that at, uh, at Cal? So I haven't taken um, advantage of any of the incubation programs, um, you know, from a programmatic perspective, um, but I have done a, uh, a considerable amount of, uh, of networking at work um, on um, on campus. As a matter of fact, um, my my lead, the lead investor in my uh, seed round um, last year was uh, was a professor of mine, um, was an entrepreneurship professor of mine. So. Um, so to say that uh, that Cal has had an impact on you know on on this company and on on me and my learning um, would be would be really an understatement. Um, 
you know, in addition to the investment, I've gotten amazing guidance from him, um, others that he's introduced me to, um, you know, the MBA. I, 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 can, I can certainly say without the MBA, um, specifically, particularly without the MBA from, from Berkeley, um, I probably wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. So um, other than your own lights being on all night as you test them, what's keeping you up at night as an entrepreneur getting this project off the ground? I'm not really kept up, I think, by um, by engineering um, because those are, to me, they're they're solvable problems. Um, the things that keep me up are um, things that are, are are critical to moving our company forward um, that are outside of my control. Um, so, so in particular, um, granting um, it's a it's a really Long cycle from from the time you apply for the grant fund, or from the time that uh, that you write the proposal, um, to the review panel, to the approval process. Once you're finally recommended, then you've got to wait another two months before you get the official award, and then you've got to wait three weeks before you actually get the first check. Um, and then the check, is, and then the the funds are paid. Uh, funds are paid up front, um, you know, and, and it winds up being uh, you wind up. By the end of the by the end of the grant period, you're you're wind up you wind up being paid in a rate instead of instead of upfront. So uh, it, it, it's those types of things that are that are really um, that are outside of my control that that actually um, keep me up at night. Um, engineering I can control to a large extent. Um, investor money for uh, raising uh, you know raising uh, raising equity funds. Um, I, I should say just you know fundraising in general. Um, that keeps me up um, because, again, you can't force somebody to, to write a check. You can only do your best to influence um, and, uh, and, hope, and hope that the message that you've communicated is, uh, is, is of value to that investor. Interesting point about grants, too, is that they're non-dilutive, and so they're particularly attractive when you're trying to stretch out a runway. Oh, very much so. I, I love non-dilutive funding. We've, um, so speaking of not dilutive funding, we've gotten our, uh, we received our notification for our NSF Phase Two uh, provided $750,000 over the next years. Uh, interestingly, um, the state of Kentucky offers um, offers a 100% match to companies within in the state of Kentucky and companies that are willing to locate to the state of Kentucky. So we're we're actually um, to um, planning to leave California, um, as our budget goes from 750 over two years to half million, um, that you know greatly increases the probability of um, you know, of, of developing our material in the time frame that we are allotted, um, and ju just simply by being able to put more resources onto the project. So. Um, so, so to your point about how great non-dilutive funding is, uh, you know, sometimes you've got to do things that uh, that you that you maybe rather not do, like leave California, leave the Bay Area, uh, to go uh, get some of that non-dilutive funding. That is an amazing uh, poll and quite an attractant. Now, obviously, it's still early. The story for EIE materials is yet to be written to a degree, but. If you had an opportunity, Rob, and you were going back in time to 2013, what would you go back and tell yourself about what you're about to go through, things that you might do differently, and um, you know, things that turned out to be time sinks and pitfalls that you could have avoided? 
So when when we actually started this company, um, we had um, we had we had decided that we were going to be working with a very specific material system to develop this uh, to develop this phosphor material, and it turned it and it turned out four months after. We'd, uh, we had gotten our, uh, our NSF SBIR phase one funding and raised our first round of seed equity funding that we were way wrong and we just didn't know it. We had done a lot of, um, of, of, of upfront, uh, upfront work um, prior to getting the NSF award. We, we actually, um, um, you know, six, six or nine months prior, we had done a, a proof of concept study, uh, but we were very, very limited in terms of the equipment that we had access to, um, and the and a, and a budget for and a budget for materials to to really prove out whether um, whether or not we um, you know whether or not this material system would work. Um, but that said, looking back, um, if we had actually shown shown uh, in our proof of concept study that this materials this particular material system wouldn't work. I'm not sure this company would have ever gotten off the ground. So, so when when we what what we did, um, and and I guess you know a um, a piece of advice that I would give myself is basically you know failure along the way is is inevitable. Um, you know, embrace it, um, understand that, watch for signs of it, um, and be ready to switch gears at a moment's notice. Um, and and that's exactly what we had to do. Uh, earlier this year was was basically um, realize you know ad admit to ourselves that we're heading down the wrong path and we need to retool and reconfigure and figure this out and and that was last uh, I think we came to that realization last August and so so now we're we're we're, we're June of 2015 so nearly a year later um, and we just had our we just had our breakthrough um, you know probably about two months ago. So it was a, uh, it was definitely a long road. Um, it was definitely a long road to get to where we are, but through a lot of, um, you know, clever, um, clever refine, um, clever ways to uh, to to uh, uh, work uh, to make the budget to make make our budget work with the uh, with the financing that we already had, and then plus additional support from uh, from our current investors. Um, you know, we got to this got to this breakthrough point. So the uh, the piece of advice that I would have given myself would be, uh, you know, there is there's always a way forward, and don't give up. Um, um, so last August, for example, I think I think my most embarrassing moment as a um, my my most the most embarrassing moment to me as a professional was last August. I was actually uh, interviewing for other jobs, um, one of which was in Alabama. My um, uh, my wife said, "Absolutely not. We are not going." <laughs> um, so that 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 kind of put an end to that. But um, but it was it was it was strange that you know we had we had been going through this difficult process of trying to figure out how we were going to move forward and the problem and 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 solving that problem seemed absolutely impossible um and then it just it, it it was it was weird it was just an epiphany um one morning that the that the um the entire vision of how to move our company forward techno technologically speaking and um 
and on the business side, you know, we're getting uh, getting JDAs and investor money and so forth. Um, that vision was perfectly clear, um, and that's what we've been executing on since last August. Um, and it was, um, and I say that was my most embarrassing point um, because uh, because I gave up because there was a point where I actually mentally gave up um, when in reality. Um, the show wasn't over, um, so that was a that was a that was an incredible learning experience for me. That um, that 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 there is always a way forward. Um, w if you wait long enough and think hard enough, you'll figure it out. So speaking of that long road, Rob, I mean, you spoke to so many issues there. Uh, but if you were giving advice to other entrepreneurs, what might you say to them about how long it takes? Way longer than you think, um, which is uh, it, it just does. And and honestly, I wouldn't give that advice to an entrepreneur that it, it that it's going to take longer than you think. Because quite honestly, I think I think my naivete of being a first-time entrepreneur about how long it would actually take to raise money, about how long it would take to make technical progress. Um, Partly, um, partly fueled uh, my decision for for becoming an entrepreneur to begin with. Um, if I didn't have that naivete and the, um, you know, and uh, and a great amount of of, of persistence, um, you know, I, I wouldn't have I wouldn't have taken uh, taken the steps um, to becoming an entrepreneur. So, um, so I, I I don't think I would tell. <laughs> I might, I might, I might actually even, you know, take the opposite and tell the tell the right person, tell somebody with, um, you know, with that uh, with that drive, with that hunger, um, and passion, um, you know, for you know for a particular idea that that maybe it is easy, um, because sometimes the uh, the counter works, um, if that makes sense. Great stuff and and sage advice today from Rob Nortzel, the co-founder of EIE Materials. Rob, thank you very much for spending time with us today. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you, Matt, and I appreciate, uh, appreciate you bringing me on. This episode of Inside the Founder Studio has been brought to you by the Clean Acres Initiative of the California Technology Council. For more information, visit californiatechnology.org slash cleanacres. Music for this episode of Inside the Founder Studio has been brought to you by Scott Fowler, friend of the California Technology Council. Inside the Founder Studio is produced in Northern California by the California Technology Council.